welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on experiencing vintage gear. There is something special about vintage gear. The history, the stories, the nostalgia, it really is not just one thing that makes it all so cool. Of course, there are some things that make vintage gear not so cool, like the current prices, or the cost of replacement parts, or potential irreversible damage, or my biggest fear, theft at a gig. But what classifies gear as vintage? Are they actually better? What makes them different than modern guitars? Why does it cost so much? Would it make a good investment? Why are they so desirable? And what vintage gear have we experienced? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with John on the Tweed Couch. John, it is great to have you again on the couch. It's been a few weeks, and you know what? I needed your therapy. I'm always just joyful when I get to come here and hang out on the couch with you, Dr. T. It's spring here in the great state of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. which means mud. It's, it's yeah. muddy. It's wet. Oh, the season of mud. Yeah, but you know, it's 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 good to to cast my eyes upon the Texas landscape uh, overlooking mm-hmm. the uh, the Tweed couch here and... Uh, Think of think of warmer weather. It'll be great. Yeah. Oh, so good. And what we're going to get into today actually comes from something that you alluded to in our last podcast where you said you actually got to handle the 54 Telecaster. Is that right? Yeah, it was a 54 Tele. Ugh. Yeah, it came into a, a place that I was working for at the time. So we are going to get into that, and we're going to talk about other vintage gear that we have actually been in contact with and got to play with or see or whatever. But I feel like we need a few qualifiers because we handle these things and regard them as amazing. And I think we need to qualify why is vintage so special? So in your idea, why is vintage special at all? So having a, a little bit of a unique perspective being a drummer, vintage drum stuff, and I'm, I might irritate any drummers that actually listen to this, but vintage drum hardware, vintage drums you are, yeah, so myself, <laughs> so I agree with myself, vintage yeah. drums are are junk, right? Like it, they're, they're old, <laughs> they're not round, the finish is all falling apart, the hardware yep. is terrible. Can I say sucks on a podcast? The hardware sucks. Yes. Okay, we can yes. say sucks on this podcast? Yes. You know what? This is a safe space. <laughs> it is. Okay, therapy. great. The hardware's terrible on old vintage drum stuff. Now, sometimes like Ludwig made a Black Beauty snare drum. It's copper plated, brass. It sounds amazing. You want the one from the 70s. That's, that's like the one thing that's out there. But as a guy who plays guitar and gets to hang out with cool vintage gear from time to time, Guitar players have it so much better with vintage gear. Vintage gear, in my mind, is anything pre-1980. Oh, okay. All right. Does that, does that qualify as what is vintage? I, okay, I think it could. I think it could. So, for me, 
As far as vintage and why it's so special, to me, a lot of it has to do with the nostalgia of it. Yeah. The stories they tell. You know, like my buddy, Dr. Wu, he let me borrow his, what we found out was a 67 telly. And I did a whole little video about like how that happened and what he did to it. And we discovered it together. It was actually really fun. People should check out that YouTube. That was really cool. But he also let me borrow his 66 telly. And that guitar, when you look at it, tells its own story. Like, there's a hole in the bottom horn of the telly. Like, where there was a strap button. Which, for you, what do you think? If there's a hole in the bottom horn, what do you think happened to that guitar? Someone strung it lefty at some point in time. That's exactly right. Somebody played it lefty. That's the only thing that makes sense. So Barbara got a hold of it. <laughs> you didn't because you no, learned how I, to play righty. I do play know? guitar right-handed, yeah. So. Yeah. So, you know, so that's amazing. And you actually look at the back of it and you see where all the belt buckle ratchet and everything is. And you go, yeah, there's no way that happens on a righty. So, like, most of its playware is lefty before it became righty. And then it does. So like, I love that. I also love the nostalgia of like, this is the gear, the legends played, you know, this is the gear that the inventor actually touched. Unless it was Leo Fender, in which case he never, he never played guitar. That's true. Like, yeah. That's true. And let's go ahead and toss in Ted McCarty and McCarty for, too, yeah. for Gibson. <laughs> yeah, he never did it either. But like that's that's cool to me. And you know, antique stuff is cool and and the history. And I'm not just talking about like the story of the life of that gear. I'm talking about the story of all gear. Like yeah. when did maple boards become rosewood boards? When did mahogany necks become maple necks? When did three-way switches become five-way switches? When did nitro become poly? And there are so many different, well, and then amps. When did point to point become PCB? Yeah. There's a story. And so because of that, that's why vintage gear is so special. So now to go with what you were just asking, what's considered vintage? Right. So I would say at least 20 years old. Okay. At so, least so, so since the 90s were only 10 years ago at the time of this podcast. <laughs> no, uh, no, no, no. That <laughs> was 20 years ago. 20 <laughs> oh years ago. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I would say I would say 20 years would be at least. But at the same time, I think it has to do with the era of the manufacturer. Sure. So for example... I have a 1996 Paul Reed Smith CE22. And many people would say, well, I mean, the guitar's like not even quite 30 years old yet. You know, it's 27 years old. Like that's, that doesn't count. But hear me out now. Paul Reed Smith started actually making Paul Reed Smith guitars in 1985. So this guitar is only 11 years old. At the point in which he's making it. So now you look at Leo Fender, who starts making the Telly at 52. Well, not age 52, but in 1952. So we're talking about guitars that are now a 63, 64. And people are like, oh, that's vintage. Totally vintage. So that's the reason why I would say it depends on the manufacturer. But at least 20 years for sure. I would agree with that. I think think the other thing that does play into it is what you pointed on, which is the nostalgic factor, right? Like 
when did they mass produce something? Oh, yeah. You could say the same thing about Taylor guitars, where they manufactured them on mass, but the older ones are so much more handcrafted, as it were, mm-hmm. than the new ones, right? So if you have a late 90s, early 2000s, even a 410 or 510 or you know 400, 500 series guitar, it's way cooler than one that was manufactured even five, six years later when they really went to all laser cutting and automation. Yeah. No, that, that's, that's actually a really important distinction as well. So then I would say, you know, on the Fender side, they go, oh, this was Leo stuff. And then it hits 1965 and then they go, oh, well, that's CBS. Right. And for Gibson, they go, oh, this is the Norlin era. Yeah. You know, they tried to do some things, right? Like they went from the four-bolt neck to the three-bolt oh, yeah. neck. Mm-hmm. If something survived as a three-bolt neck, <laughs> it's cool, True. right? But, you know, they had so many issues with those that they, they went back to the four-bolt neck. Right. And some of the vintage things can be annoying, too, right? Like, Oh, yeah. Like I have a vintage Strat neck on my Frankenstrat, and mm-hmm. you have to take the neck off to adjust the truss rod, right? So, Oh, yeah. You know. It, what a pain in the butt. What but, a pain oh, but it's a butt. 1957 Strat neck. Yeah, of course, you have to take the no. neck off. It's like, well, <laughs> I'd rather just have no. the hole on the top and be able to, to to tweak it quickly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that brings up a lot of things to like, what's wrong with the vintage? The upkeep is what's wrong with the vintage because you know you're you're worried about damaging the guitar just by changing the strings or trying to adjust the intonation and you get that screwdriver a little too close to the finish and now irreversible damage. You did that to that guitar. Yes, it had its marks on it before, but you, you did this. And, you know, and there are things like armware. I go, man, it earned that. But luthier marks? Yeah. Oh, drives me nuts. Or the prop guy forgot to switch out the pre-war Martin before, you know, you smashed it in the movie. Was yes. that the Hateful Eight or whatever? <laughs> that was the Hateful that. Eight. Okay, for those that do not know about that whole scenario, basically it was Kurt Russell, wasn't it? It was Kurt Russell in the Hateful Eight, yeah. it was. And the the, the person was, was kind of fingering around on the guitar. It was this lady, she was doing that. And he was supposed to smash the Martin. But the whole idea was that Martin actually made all of these replicas of the guitar. So that's what was supposed to be smashed. But instead they're doing it. Director didn't call cut yet. And he knew it was that time. So he takes the guitar out of her hands and just starts wailing it and breaks the thing into smithereens. And her reaction was so priceless that they were like, that was totally worth it. And I'm like, no, no, it was not. Because it was a priceless guitar. There, I mean, it, you yeah. know, it was a triple irreversible wasn't it? damage. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Talk yeah. about luthier marks. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There will definitely be some. Maybe we should send it to Kretzman. He might be able to, to glue it back together at least. I mean, you know, yeah, maybe. It's a wall hanger no, now. And no, it's a piece like, of, piece of yeah. decoration. But yeah, it's mostly, mostly glue, not wood, yeah. actually, by that but, point. <laughs> but that brings up, you know, like, one of the troubles with vintage stuff is you don't want to play it out. Oh man. Are instruments meant to be museum pieces? Are they meant to just be hung on a wall? According to hard rock, it is. (laughs) Exactly. 
according to the Rock and Roll Hall of um, Fame, it is. Yeah, I mean, nobody takes, you know, you, you go through the, actually, I don't know if you've been there, but you go through there and it's like, oh my gosh, there's all these amazing things. And then you think like, yeah, but it it still plays. Like yeah. somebody should be using it, you know? Yeah, it's it's tough. Like we, we talked about Dave's guitar shop. Oh yeah. Last time. I mean, he's got that upper room of just such cool instrumentation and old guitars and all this vintage stuff and it's there to be sold i mean obviously some of the stuff he's got right. in his private collection but i mean it's there to be played and sold and put back out and you know i mean obviously you got to figure out if you're going to pay a hundred thousand dollars for a telecaster you you got to be the right guy to play it out but yeah somebody um, in japan's gonna love that yeah well and okay so They're, this actually brings up an interesting point too when we look at these things as nostalgic and we look at these things as better, even we're like, Oh, these are better. Even though it's inferior, there's a three way switch on a strat. What a waste. Right. But, but no, but that's better. And, and you get all of these nostalgia points, if you will. And then you start to really think about it. And when you go, man, I want to sound like, Clapton during cream I want that tone or I want that Jimi Hendrix tone what's really interesting to me is Paul Smith one time actually said something to the effect of when Hendrix played or recorded Wind Cries Mary or he did the Star Spangled Banner that gear was essentially new yeah. So when people start talking about, oh, the wood is so old and, oh, the pickups have had time to breathe so that we can get that Hendrix tone. Well, that wood was not that old and it was didn't breathe that much. So so is it possible <laughs> that the the instruments that we have now are actually better or just as good as that stuff? that was back in the 70s and 60s and 50s i would say yes especially if you look at the you know fender's done a good job of doing their like era mm-hmm. era specific models right like they've got the classic 50s you know and even the stuff coming out of mexico oh, yeah. right like it's made as close to possible the specs that they had back in the day uh at an affordable price obviously they've got their custom shop stuff well even their squire stuff the classic vibe. I mean, they're making stuff overseas that are meant to be yeah. like the old vintage stuff. Yeah. I mean, they used to talk about pickups on the tellies and stuff specifically. You had to look at who actually wound it. They tried to figure out who it was because oh, yeah. they were all hand wound, right? So nobody was counting to 500 yeah. wraps, right? Like they, they, would, they would call it, you got to smoke two cigarettes and then you're done right. winding the pickup, right? Like. They would so however long it took you know Bill to get through his palm alls that day is how many wraps were on the pickup, you know and and they they didn't nobody was oh my gosh that was good nobody was actually counting no, no one was actually like worrying about the exact number of yeah, wraps on a pickup and so if you got Bill's pickups oh my gosh they sound so much better than Larry's or whatever who you know whatever the guys you know were who were doing okay, it Okay so that's interesting too because this is something that I got from a guy when I was really getting into vintage and I was like oh I want to know more about vintage I want to know so much more I would talk with a guy named Kenny at a guitar shop that's no longer around called Solid Body Guitar and he would always say, oh, well, this was this time. Oh, this was this time. This was this time. And I remember asking the question, why is it 
that a 59 Les Paul sounds so much better. And he would always say, the first thing was, well, compared to what? I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> fair. But then he would follow that up with, well, it's because they made it crappier then. And I was like, what? And he said, oh yeah, not all 59s sound great. They literally just stuck their hand into a box with pickups, installed, stuck another hand into, a, into the same box of pickups, installed, and sometimes they were out of phase. Sometimes one was wound way too weak. One was wound way too hot. Sometimes they were dead. They went to test it and went, oh, we got to take the thing apart. And they made them crappier then. But some magical ones got out. Yeah, the, the, the quality control back then was not nearly what it was. Which some people are going to be mad about because we're talking about Gibson and they, they say their like quality control sucks the most now. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But back then, like you said, I mean, everything was handmade. Everything, you know, it wasn't, there weren't right. CNC machines cutting out tele bodies, right? So obviously there were, there were craftsmen who were, who, you know, took right. pride in what they were building. But it's funny, uh, our friend Todd... You know, you talk about relicking mm -hmm. and some of that kind of stuff. He's trying to relic a, uh, actually just a, a... It was a 98 made in Mexico, like, blue base. Like that light blue. And he, he started chipping off some of the paint in a few places mm -hmm. where it was kind of dinged up. And he found it was sunburst underneath. And he's like, "What? The, what's up with this? I mean, that's what they did back... I mean, even in 95, yeah. if the sunburst didn't look good, they just yeah. painted over it. <laughs> they just resprayed mm -hmm. it with a different. Okay, it's not a sunburst anymore. Now it's a, now it's a aqua blue or whatever yeah. color it was. Well, you know, and that was actually blue. something they found in the in the fifties and sixties. If somebody did a special order color, and they were like, "Well, we already made the guitar," they just went, "Well, they say they want it red." People repaint it. They didn't sand it down. <laughs> it's red now. Yeah, and and that's that's amazing to me. And and we pine, and we desire and we spend much more money for guitars that were made crappier <laughs> but they feel so good <laughs> they do <laughs> i have a buddy jeff who who plays out with a lot of older stuff usually yeah. 60s era strats and tellies and stuff and he everything he's found is refinned mm -hmm. right like it was a badly refinned guitar you know maybe they finished it off in the 80s and he's like you get that that feel that you mm -hmm. want, right? Like you get the neck that you want, you get the sound that you want, but you don't have to pay, you know, all that money. And now they're, I mean, even Fender's doing these like relics, you know, yeah. peekaboo color things, right? Like where they're taking the white guitar and like sanding it down and all of a sudden yep. the sunburst is showing through or the original color is showing through or whatever. There's a Paisley model too, right? Like a Brad Paisley model that does that. Oh gosh. I would love to have it, a pink Paisley with a black overspray. And it's just, and you just have yeah. all this peekaboo pink paisley. Like, that would be so amazing. On a strat with a maple board, I'm like, I'm all in, but I'm not all in on a $7,000 custom shop. Right. So you could just do it yourself. Just go buy, a, go buy the, the Squire Paisley body and just spray paint it quick. And, say, right. and there is no Squire Paisley. Come on now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, actually, oh, all right. So, we're going to call a little bit of an audible with this because I'm curious on what you think because- okay. We've established, yes, you're a drummer, but you're also a sound man. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I mentioned earlier that Paul Smith said something about the whole new guitar, and yet we talk about it as vintage. Well, yes, it was it's a vintage instrument now, but it was a new instrument then kind of thing. 
by today's expectations, sound systems. Yeah. If somebody shows up to the venue and they've got, you know, an okay, like Behringer or uh, Mackie or Yamaha soundcraft, like, like the cheaper ones, analog board, and they basically only have a bunch of like 58s. Or 57, even EV microphones, like a bunch of EV microphones. Oh, the Diamond PV series microphones. Okay. And that's all they have for everything. Guitar, drums, vocals. Like, do you think that a band like Paul McCartney, you know, Eric Clapton, Rolling Stones or whatever, do you think nowadays that they would just like flip out and be like, no, this is unacceptable? I think those specific bands would freak out and say it's unacceptable. However, Tom Petty, oh, uh, until they quit touring, they used nothing but 57s on stage. With perhaps the exception of the kick drum microphone, I think everything else on stage was a 57. That's what they used. That's the, you know, and and he was quoted in multiple audio magazines as being that's our sound, that's what delivers our sound, that's what our fans are expecting. And the use. reason why I bring that up is because Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton, the Rolling Stones, back in the 60s and 70s, all of those recorded hits that were done live were done with heavy mid-rangey microphones, you know, just in front of an amp. Yeah. And these these tones are tones that people are like, oh my gosh, I've got to have this tone. It's got to be so, it's got to be like 67 in Shea Stadium. And you're like, by today's standards, that's so inferior. Like, why are you shooting for that tone? And this probably answers that question that this essentially, if it is good, it's good. It, I, just yeah. because it's crappy stuff doesn't mean the tone wasn't awesome. And you just live with it. And crappy by today's standards, right? You know, like. True inferior by today's standards yeah, yeah inferior by today's standards because i mean you think back of the the beatles you know when they're playing shea stadium they didn't even have monitors back then right oh like, yeah it was custom custom with a k the brand custom pa boxes sure had a brand of pa box yep. out at the time and it was like three vocal mics and a mic that kind of sort of picked up the kick drum. Everything else was just turn yeah. it up to 11 and hope the girl in the back hears it, which she's not because everyone's screaming. And, well, right. Yeah. It went from AC 15s to AC thirties. And then the next thing, you know, they had to make something called the super beetle. Lo and behold, named after the Beatles. Yeah. Just to be loud enough to play in the show. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, Jim Marshall figured it out and, you know, made a Marshall full stack, which wasn't really even a full stack at the time. It was just the stack because it was eight speakers and then no one could carry yeah, right. it so they cut it in half, right? Because uh, Pete Townsend <laughs> said, I need more speakers. And then after he said, I need yeah. more speakers, he was like, this is too heavy. It's too big. He said, no, nah, that's why I pay roadies. And then roadies started quitting. Yeah. And he went, cut the so thing in half. Cut it in half. And now there's the Model A and the Model B, you know? But I think, you know, when you, when you talk outside of the guitar specifically, one year at the festival, um, I had a couple AC-30s go down, so I needed to backline a couple from a different company. I needed to outsource a couple. And the guy gave me one CC2, which was just the standard, you know, green-backed AC-30. The other one he gave me was a 1964 
box AC30. He's like, ah, oh, it's the only one I had. And we shoved it out there. And I'm like, man, there's going to be fist fights over this yeah. thing. Because oh, everybody yeah. wanted that one. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, guitar players are like, oh, no, you get it. I, I want it. I want it. And they were fighting over who got to play that particular Vox amp. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, like, we're sticking a 57 in front of it and blasting it through a ginormous line array. Like, oh, yeah. Nobody but you is going to know that notice the difference from yep. the 1964 to the 2006 CC2 version. You know, it's just it's just that that cool factor, I think, is a little mm-hmm. bit. But and, and it even goes the same with guitars, right? Like. Even at a bar, I couldn't tell if you're playing a made in Mexico Telecaster versus yep. a '68 original Tele, right? As long mm-hmm. as it's you know, obviously there's things you could pick out, right? Like, oh right, well that's oh, it's if got you the, know it's, it. That's if you know yeah. it though. And okay, right. this brings up an interesting point. Okay, so I'm on Facebook and I see that my dad's best friend, who is my godfather, Bill. He's playing the acoustic guitar with his grandson, who's playing the piano at church. And I'm like, oh, look at that. That's so sweet. You know, and I mean, the kid is terrible. Now, as a kid, he's good. (laughs) But let's be honest, from any other standpoint, you're like, it's not in time. It's not necessarily in tune. But you know what? You probably learned this over the course of like a couple of weeks and, you know, you're working on it. You're working on it. And so you go, yes. Keep on thriving. But Bill, my godfather, he's playing his Martin. And I'm I'm watching and I'm like, hold on, that's his Martin. And then I remember his Martin is the one that I grew up playing and seeing whenever I would come visit. And I went, that's a 1935 Martin D18. Mm-hmm. The thing is worth 60 grand. And he's playing it at church with his grandson. And I went... As he should. As he should. Absolutely. (laughs) And I immediately was like, this is the greatest tribute he could do with that guitar. Because that's what it was designed for. It was, first of all, designed to be played. But second of all, it was designed to be used for generations. Yeah. And I was like, yes, this this is amazing. So I guess that probably brings us to talking about the vintage gear that we have handled. And we will start with your story about the 54 Telly after a word from our sponsors. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, if you love family friendly, if you love camping, then you should look into LifeFest. LifeFest is one of the largest Christian music festivals in America and draws attendees from across the United States to worship together, deepen their faith, and strengthen relationships with family and friends. This three-day event features dozens of artists, engaging seminars, and much more. This year in 2021, we have two festivals. Come join a party with a purpose in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on July 8th through 11th or on the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bon Agua, Tennessee on July 29th through 31st. I'll see you there. Okay, so you started this story a podcast and a half ago. 
Yeah. So it is time for us to do it again. Tell me, tell me about this Fender Telecaster from 1954 and... I think if I remember correctly, you basically said it came in and you had to broker it. And that's all we know. Yeah. So tell the world about this 54 telly. So I was working at a music store at the time and this guy walks in with the tweed case, right? Like when you oh. see the case, you go, that's got something cool in it. And he brought it up and he put it up on the counter and he shared kind of the story of stories, right? Like this was my dad's guitar. He bought it a long time ago. You know, he didn't really play it much. He was a, I think he was a bass player, if I remember the story correctly. And he bought this guitar, but he was a bass player. So the guitar didn't get played out a whole lot. And Mm -hmm. generations go on and, and, you know, dad's gone and we're cleaning out the house for mom. And here's this guitar. We popped it open and the mothballs flew out and, you know, it had that, (laughs) that, that old smell about it. And it was a 1954 Telecaster. Oh my god. And it was it was the it was the story, right? Like I mean it's the one that you think of. You open the pocket up and he's got the the little hand towel that they gave you in 54 with oh, it. Oh yes. He's got the coily cable. He's got yes. he had the ashtray for it. He had the original yeah. paperwork. Like it kind of had everything oh you would want. It wasn't the butterscotch. It was kind of an off-white. Um Oh, okay. So it's like the Olympic white, but it you can kind of see through the grain a little bit on it. Yeah, you could see the wood grain through it, and then it also had a white pick guard, which was a little again, not kind of standard, right? Especially for a fifty-four. Yeah, fifty-two, fifty-three, fifty-four, you think butterscotch with black. This was white with that that Olympic see Wow. So some shenanigans went on. I don't want to get into the details, but the guy one of the guys who worked at the store who was helping him out kind of undervalued it. Oh. Did some bad things. Okay. We ended up with the guitar again. <laughs> the guitar came. Uh, we, we ended up with it uh, at the store. And um, long story short, we ended up contacting the owner and saying, hey, this is what went down. We want to broker this for you. Because it's, Cause it's, it's worth expensive... way more than yeah, what It's, <laughs> just it's worth way more than the you. original offer that you received. Uh, and that guy didn't work for the store anymore. He was gone. Anyway, yeah. all that to say... I mean, I think it had the original strings on it when we got it. I mean, literally, they were <laughs> oxidized and nasty. So we tear it all, we, you know, we break it down, and we're literally you know, cleaning the frets with a toothbrush and mm-hmm. kind of bringing it back to its glory days. But when you took the neck off, because you know, that's how you adjust the truss rod. Truss rod right. still had full play. Everything, nothing had seized up. All the tuning machines worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember we had to deoxid all the pots and stuff, but they, they cleaned up real nice and, and actually worked. But the neck had been built in December of 1953, and it was written in pencil by the guy who finished the neck or, or I don't know, oh built gosh. it from scratch or whatever. Yeah, the completion then, date. Why not? Yeah. And then in the heel, in the heel, um, it had the same thing, and it was a different guy who had signed it. So that must have been the guy who made the body. Uh-huh. Uh, it, and I believe it was just initials. I don't know if it was a full name or something like that. Okay. But, it was, but it was January of 1954. And then obviously they put it all together and it was, it was there. And I remember there was that, that build of anticipation, right? Like we cleaned it up, we put new strings on it, we got it set up, it felt right. And then a buddy of mine, Jeff, who is amazing luthier who worked at the store, you know, we plugged it in and it just rang out and everything, you know, brought it back to life. And that guitar at the time ended up selling for close to $20,000. Oh my gosh. 
Wow. Talking about making a vintage investment or investing in vintage gear, that same guitar right now or similar guitar I've seen go, you know, like at Carter Vintage in Nashville and stuff, closer to $100,000 now. <laughs> and that was... Yeah, of course. This, this was in like 2003, 2002, wow. something like that. I mean, 20 years later, it's quadrupled in value. I don't know what happened to that guitar after that. We ended up selling it to actually Dave's in Lacrosse, is who bought it okay. from us. Uh, so I know Dave was his intentions were to flip it, and uh, you know he'd hang it in his hang it in his upper room for a while, mm-hmm. and then eventually it would go back out in the world uh, or get locked in a you know vault in Japan or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, to be to be valued later, yeah. but but yeah, that that's probably the coolest. I mean, like we literally took it outside and we like everyone took pictures with it. It was just yes. one of the coolest kind of the coolest things that we got to hang on to at the store so you um, took a picture with it huh i do i have it um i found it actually not too long ago it's it's yes. in my little you know you know i'm pretty sure everybody from our generation has that shoebox with pictures in it uh, oh yeah somewhere in their closet yeah and it's it's in, in duplicate there and, most yeah. <laughs> of them with your eyes closed smiling yeah and i remember flipping through it and going oh my gosh there i am there's the there's the telly and it's it's Can just one of those fun things. Post that on like Instagram or Facebook or whatever. I would yeah. love to see you with that guitar. That would be yeah. awesome. I'll dig it out and, and when you uh, yeah when the when this goes live, I'll uh, share the post and share the picture. So that's awesome. So I recently got my hands on the '67 and the '66 of my buddy Doctor Wu, and there's something that just feels special when I'm holding it. And the 67 sounds really good, but the 66, like even unplugged, mm-hmm. it's percussive. It bounces. It just sounds different and it sounds amazing. And I think that's something to any guitar, not just vintage, but when you can play a guitar and it rings without even plugging the thing in, oh, you know, it's going to be good. You just know yeah, it's I- going to be good. I think that, you know, to the to the point earlier of, you know, the the older stuff, it's it's so hit or miss, you know, cuz they just kind of made yeah. it. You know, they just were digging in boxes and putting parts together and calling it a day. I think the same thing rings true cuz you know, we've talked about this, you know, even with acoustics and stuff, you can you can play a guitar and then play one that's valued so much higher and go, oh, the other one's better, it sounds better." And I think you can do the same thing with yeah. electrics. And even again, within the world of vintage, there's that that thing of going, oh my gosh, this is a 1966, you know, telecast. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, it kind of plays like, Ugh. you know, yeah. but the 67 that I have sounds great, you know. Right. I mean, I think there's there's just that to it too, right? Yeah, well, it, and, and it's definitely how much you bond with that instrument as well. So my buddy, Dr. Wu who also has that 59 Les Paul Jr. that I've borrowed and I've done an AB with the Kretzman going, okay, what are these things like? And ultimately at the end of the day, I went, the Kretzman feels better. Yeah. I liked the sound of the Gibson better, but the, the Kretzman felt better. And so I, I wouldn't necessarily want that, but that's another one of those examples of like, not all vintage gear is necessarily amazing. Actually, there was one other. I had a guy who owned a 1974 Hummingbird. (laughs) And he brought it to the concert for me to play it because he was like, you got to feel this thing. Like, this thing is amazing. And I was like, all right, do it. Bring it. Let's do it. He brought it and I played it not live. I just 
played it like in the hotel room and it was terrible. <laughs> like it was dead sounding. It didn't have a ton of life. I mean, it was a seventies hummingbird. A lot of those were pretty dead. And he was like, Oh man, this is my prized possession. And I was like, I can tell why, you know, cause I'm not going to say, well, it sucks because I can tell why. Cause he was so excited about it. Not because I thought the guitar was amazing, but because he felt amazing having it. And that's that some of what yeah, vintage that- stuff does. Yeah. And that, that's some of what vintage stuff does is it just, it, it, it builds. I think I remember Jason saying this, that guitars have songs in them and it's so true, but how do the guitars have the song? Chet Atkins famously, someone was listening to Chet Atkins play and they were like, oh my gosh, that guitar sounds great. And he stopped playing and went, how's it sound now? <laughs> so yes, the guitar has songs, but it's because of your marriage with it, your interaction with it. And I think some of this vintage stuff brings that that mojo, if you will, to it as well. Yeah, because even, I mean, you go all the way back to Da Vinci, right? When he When he was sculpting, he always said, the piece is in there. I'm just, I'm just removing the rest of it. Yeah. You know, and I think it, I think it was Da Vinci anyway. Yeah. World, you can go figure out if it was Da Vinci, but it was some sculptor. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but guitars are the same way, right? And songs are the same way, you know, cause I can play the same four chords and I can't make a song out of it. Whereas no. someone else can, can hear that same progression and go, Oh, here's the melody and here's this. And here's, you know, they can bring life to that tune. Yeah, actually, I was mentioning this to my son, Owen, who is the 13-year-old cork sniffer. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so I said to him today, we were listening to Counting Crows, Mr. Jones. It is... Mr. Jones and me. Yes, okay. and we got you to sing yep. now. All right, so... <laughs> not a bingo. All right. No. So, was, although it may be a bingo now to mention when something's a bingo. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> it, it has gotten to that point, hasn't it? It has. Okay. But we were talking about that song, and I said, it's four chords, the whole song. And he was listening. He was like, oh, my gosh, it is. And I said, isn't the song amazing? He was like, yeah. And I said, because really all you need, four chords and the truth. That's it. That's a good four line. That should be a T-shirt. Tweet couch, four chords and the truth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really just how the podcasts work. It's really yeah. four points and the truth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just it's amazing how these instruments can bring out stuff now to go back to talking about vintage gear you've actually experienced yeah i grew up with vintage gear even when i was young it was still considered vintage and it was because my dad was a musician so my dad still owns his 1953 eb1 bass like he still has it and that guitar, when I played it, sounded like crap. Like, I was just like, it just, it sounded terrible. Mostly because I didn't know how to play a guitar like that. Now, fast forward 30 years, and I buy my 68 EBO bass, which is the one that looks like an SG, instead of the one like his, which was violin shaped. And I play that, and it's, it sounds really the same. But all of a sudden I go, man, this thing sounds really good. Well, the other day I pull that bass out and I start playing and I go, yeah, actually it sounds pretty good. I, I just didn't know how to play bass then. That was, the, that was really the problem. But the cool thing about that bass is the neck is huge and it's a 53. 
Okay, so it's the first year. They only made 105 electric bases that year. And it's the first year they ever made an electric base. So I, I remember looking at it and I said to my my dad, I was like, Dad, you realize that the wood in this guitar, had they decided to make Les Pauls that day <laughs> instead of basses, this guitar would be worth like 60000 more. And he was like, I didn't think of it that way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But I grew up with vintage gear. That, that was the yeah. point to that. Sorry. Um, but that, that was the point was that, you know, I grew up playing some of these things. And I mean, it was nowadays I realize what a fantastic experience to have at a young age to be around that gear and to have access to it. My son, Owen. Okay. So one more story. We went to the Dallas guitar show and we were there, you know, having a good time, you know, whatever. And there was a guy who had a 1954 Fender Stratocaster and had maple neck, two-tone sunburst. He was asking, I want to say it was like $29,000 or something for the thing. And we're like looking at all the stuff and, and Owen points it out. And he was probably like nine, 10 years old at the time. And the guy was looking at him and he was like, well, does he want to touch it? I was like, no, he does not want to touch it. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess he wants to touch it. And he sat down he let him play on the guitar for like, I mean, 10, 15 minutes. And, and he didn't like stand there like guarding it or anything like that. He didn't put a strap on him. He's just like, here, play it. And it was basically a lot of G chord. But ultimately it was like, what an experience for a young player to feel and actually experience playing the vintage gear. You remember that 1976 uh, Gibson L6 that I had, L6S. Yes, I do. That cherry burst, that sort of less poly looking thing. Yeah. While not crazy expensive, it was just a cool, cool guitar. You know, I had mm-hmm. that rotary, that five-way rotary knob for the yeah, for the which was selector. weird. But I would have, I never plugged it in, so I didn't know what it sounded like. It was a veritone knob, essentially. So yeah, it, you know, kind of, it had. I never used that ever. I basically left it in position one and called it a day. But it was a cool <laughs> guitar, and it it's kind of become the unicorn for me, right? Like I always. When I'm on reverb, I always go like, oh, Gibson L6S. Let's see if there's any floating around out there that aren't, you know, $3,000 now or whatever. While not crazy vintage, I mean, now it's a 40-year-old guitar, 45-year-old guitar. Oh, sure. And 15, 20 years ago when I first had Mm -hmm. it, I kind of wish I still had it, but not because of the value, but just because of the the cool. Like, it was fun to play. I would... I would play it at church and people would be like, what is that? I'm like, ah, oh, you know, it's, it's an old Gibson, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's kind of fun, but what was the, uh, what was the less or the, yeah, the Les Paul Jr. that we saw in that guitar shop in Maryland? Oh, I forgot He had the about whole that. thing. He had we the, were at the music ground in Baltimore. Yeah. And he had the, it was a starter kit. It was like, yeah. it, like, like if you go to Guitar Center now and you buy like the mm-hmm. Squire guitar package, you get the guitar and the amp and the cord mm-hmm. and the case and the, all the stuff. This was like for the kid in nineteen like fifty nine or fifty eight or yeah. something. I think like it was that. a fifty seven or a fifty eight, and it would be more like going out and buying like the Slash starter pack, 
or yeah. you know like the Epiphone Special 2 that comes with a little amp or whatever they had the 1957 Les Paul Jr with the Les Paul Jr amp and the case that went to it and it was essentially mint it and, you couldn't tell it apart oh my gosh and i asked the guy i was like how much do you want for it and he said we're asking 8000 and i went i wish i had 8000 yeah like i would buy it because it is easily worth more than 8000 but that's what you're asking and i don't i don't have that yeah. and they also had i i don't think he was from the same guy but they also had a 61 SG Jr. that was also completely mint. Like somebody bought it and went, I intended to learn how to play, but you know what? Now I'm 70, so yeah. meh. <laughs> I, bought, I bought this 60 years ago and it's been in the yep. closet ever since. And gosh, it was amazing. Yeah. And I was like, I wish I had the money. I wish I had this because that would be awesome. Now, at the end of the day, I also look at my bank account and I go, well, I also kind of like being able to make car payments and stuff. So <laughs> I would, because to the point, I mean, you're not going to take that guitar out and play it, right? It would be a no. wall hanger and it would look cool and all those things. And um, one more from our road travels. You remember the 65 Fender Deluxe Reverb we found in Michigan? We were at that, we were at Traverse City Guitars in Michigan, yes. in Traverse City, Michigan. And I walked up and I said, okay. New, new or vintage? Which one is it? And we were both like, "Oh, it's totally a reissue. Like it's it's a yeah. It looks like a reissue. Reverb. It's definitely a reissue. And then you turn it around, and it's all point to point wired, and it's all, like it's just yeah. The speakers cherry. are old. The, yeah. the the you know, I mean, it, it really it looks like a time capsule. Yeah. Somebody went into the back room and went, "What's this old box?" Yep. And just, I mean, yeah. it it was a time capsule, and you know. Finding those things are harder now. Oh yeah, because everybody knows what they are. Oh yeah, I mean the days of the days of that. You know, even in two thousand two, when that fifty four walked in, that doesn't mm. happen anymore, right? Like, because the guy goes, "We have yeah. an old guitar. Google it." You know, honey, Google right. it and tell me tell me if this is worth something. Now they they wouldn't get taken to the cleaners like you know, <laughs> yeah. happened the first time around. But the 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 idea of People finding closet classics, which actually was one of Fender's brands for a while, wasn't it? Closet oh yeah, it was. And now they have the Journeyman, which oh yeah, is essentially a closet classic with a little more relicking to it. Yeah, but. and they had the. I I do like though they they do they did for a while have the new old stocker NOS where they literally made it exactly like they used to, and that would go back to like your your Jimi Hendrix comment to say if you mm-hmm. want to have a if you want to have a guitar that sounds like Jimi Hendrix, go find the. F- 59 Stratocaster new old stock. Like, yeah, it's made how they made it. It's exact. You know, it's got the same finish. It's got the same, the way the pickups were made. It's got all the stuff. Now you're going to pay through the nose for it, but that's how they did it. And to your point, it's not technically as good of a guitar. You know, the tuning machines don't have as good a ratio on them. The, uh, the pickups aren't wound, you know, machine wound. So every single one sounds the same as it comes off the line and all those things, you know, I, it's, to say you get a an American series Stratocaster now, it's not as good as a vintage or an old, you know, the way they used to do mm-hmm. it. It's actually technically a better guitar, yeah, better processes, better, you know, better everything. Which leads to my only question that I have for you: Oh, fifty years from now, okay, are people gonna think that a twenty twenty two American player Stratocaster is gonna be a vintage guitar? 
I would say yes, they will say that, but not with the same fervor that they would say about what we would say now about like a a 60s Fender. Okay, so here's to that. I look at 60s strats, 60s tellies, 50s strats, 50s tellies, and I go, those are wonderful and vintage, and I wish I could handle that. I wish I could buy that. I look at 70s strats and 70s tellies, and I go, I don't want that. Yeah. They're heavy. They're poly-finished, really thick, and I don't like the big headstock, or I don't like the weird pickup arrangements. Not a fan, right? Then you go, well, what about 80s versions? And I go, yeah, they're fine. And they go, well, what about 90s versions? Yeah, they're fine. And then you say, well, what about the early 2000s? And I go, well, those are actually really good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, there's an era that starts to show up that you go, well, but I liked those. And so now you go to Gibson, and you do the same thing. And you go, okay, 50s, 60s Gibsons. And you go, okay, all right. Then you go 70s. Well, hit or miss. Depends. Early 70s, okay. Late 70s, maybe. Okay, you go to 80s, no. Not for me, at least. You know, you go 90s, okay. Some of the 90s aren't bad. Early 2000s, I really liked those. And actually, I would say some of the best Gibsons ever made happened after 2019. They play, they sound, they feel great. And so I think... If you're to say that about a Les Paul in 30 years, so in 2050, are people going to be looking for 2020 Les Pauls? I think it's possible. I really do. Because they really did make a change. It was worth it. But ultimately, it's going to come down to this. Okay, And so this is the real answer to this question. Who's playing it? That is a really good question. You know, in the vintage world, you know, the, there's there's guitars and there's there's cars, right? Like that's the other cool thing that people, oh, yeah. you know, because nobody nobody's out there looking for the vintage house. You don't want a vintage house. You want, yeah, <laughs> you know, because it leaks and all those things. Anyway, all that to say, although you know, lime green kitchens are coming back apparently, oh. but uh, <laughs> but but you think like a '69 Chevy Camaro convertible, they're great. And then, I is it generational because like. The 80s Camaros are kind of the, you know, the 90s, early 90s Camaros are kind of, uh, but the new Camaro, man, like I, oh, I take sure. a 2020 Camaro. So for me, it's either, you know, late 60s, early 70s or a new one is Owen and Josh, our kids. Are they going to be okay. 30 years from now going, no, man, it's got to be an 80s Camaro or a new, you know, because okay. I don't, I don't see that. Ha- I don't, I personally don't see that happening. However, is it generational? Are we the old men yelling at the kids to get off our lawn right now? Or yes, are we right? <laughs> yes, it's both. <laughs> They're on the lawn, and we are yelling at them. So I will respond in this respect. We may be sitting here in our 40s and going, oh man, those 60 guitars, those 50s guitars, those were the ones... But what you're not finding is the people in their early 30s going, oh, those Jacksons and Charvels, <laughs> those were the one. Nobody's doing that. No. Do you think Do you think Fender got off track because they started putting like Floyd Roses on? They were trying to chase that 80s music. 
the popular music of the 80s, they weren't playing Strats and Tellys and, you know, they were playing Jacksons and Charvels and Kramers and, you know, that kind of stuff. I think that when it comes down to, like, Fender trying to chase the Floyds and doing all that, I think that they are a business trying to keep up with a market. Yeah. And when Charvel started making basically their guitars, they had their headstock, they had their body shape, but they put a Floyd on it. They went, oh, I'll show you. I've got a big brand. <laughs> and they yeah. made a Floyd and they went, you want a Fender. Here you go. And problem is they didn't make it better. Nobody wanted a Fender at that point in time. <laughs> well, nobody wanted a Floyd on a Fender. They right. still wanted 60s and 50s guitars. And yeah. I think that's the pigeonhole that's going to be a problem is that I don't think Fender will ever be able to truly get out of the Strat, Tele, Jazzmaster, Jaguar. I think they're going to be stuck in the 60s. And I think that the same issue goes with Gibson. I think that Gibson is going to be stuck in the... They're stuck in Ted McCarty's era. Yeah. If Ted McCarty made it, I'll do it. And a perfect example is the Theodore. Did you see the Theodore by any chance? I have not. Okay, so as a drummer, it would not show up for you probably, but basically they found Ted McCarty's old sketch of a guitar he wanted to do back in like 57. And when they found his sketch, they went, uh, we got to make this guitar. And so they made it. Oh, I just Googled it. Yeah. It looks like a tulip. Yeah. But it has like, uh... An explorer headstock? Yeah, why? Why? Okay, yeah, I know, I know. Because they're stuck in Ted McCarty's era. They cannot get out of it without people, like, going nuts. So the fact that they could put Ted's name on it now makes it an acceptable guitar. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's like the reverse V. Have you seen that where they oh, turn the V yes. around and put that? Yeah. Like, why would you? Why would you do no. that to the guitar? No. And if Who, you own it, shame on you. Who's going to buy that anyway? And they want like uh, okay, people buy. They're, yeah, they're crazy expensive. Okay. Yes. Anyway, and you know what even makes that worse? Okay, and it's because limited run. People are like ah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What makes this worse is what was Ted's intent? I student model. Oh sure. Something. And how much is it? Five grand. <laughs> Nothing yeah. says student model like uh, you're mowing the lawns will never pay for this. Right. You're shoveling poop in the backyard will never pay for this. It's it's like the acrylic drum set of, you know, equivalent to the drum world. It's like when Ludwig made the clear plastic drums oh, yeah. that nobody really wants, but they're yeah. stupid expensive. It's that's that's it. That's mm-hmm. it right there. They made the acrylic guitar too. It was an Ampeg. Now that's cool. I've seen those. Uh, <laughs> I I would buy that. No, no, that is not true. That is not true. No. I I saw it, one of those. I saw one of those at Carter Vintage. Man, it was it was pretty. It was pretty sweet. Did you pick it up? I played it. Yeah, I played it. It when weighs I was like thirteen pounds. <laughs> Because it's solid plastic. I mean, it's just like, it's not even like, oh, it's a veneer, a nice airplane. Like, no, it's no, no. What are the aluminum? The, the, wasn't there an aluminum neck? Like, a, oh, is that Moserite yes. made those? No, but they look like Moserite. Moserites. What were they called? Oh my gosh. Now I got to look it up real quick. 
Hold on. It was... That's a vintage thing that ain't coming back, hopefully. I I actually knew somebody who used it, and I cannot remember. It had like a weird V-shape. Oh, the Kramer made it. Kramer made it at one point. God, that's crazy. Anyway, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember Kramer's the one I'm thinking of, yeah. And, oh my gosh, and it was like, what is this? Well, it's kind of like McPherson making the carbon fiber guitars. They're like, yeah, we don't we don't need a truss rod. It's carbon fiber. I'm like, what? What is this? <laughs> the world is not ready for this. That's what I'm saying. The problem is know. the aluminum ones. They're they're really, uh, you know, if you grab a hold of it, and it's cold out. You're changing the the intonation and stuff is all off. Oh all yeah. Well, wood would be similar a problem, I guess. You yeah. know, like to some extent. We're totally off the rails. All right. Well, <laughs> all that to say, we are probably. At the point where we could talk about more, because I know we both have handled more vintage stuff, but... Are we in line for a part two? Oh, you know, this is the third part two in a row. Are you guys like, (laughs) you guys are like doing this on purpose, aren't you? We have a group chat that, that, you know, to mess with you. Oh, is that what happens? Do you guys call it like the couch chat or something? Yeah, there's a couch chat. Yeah, there's a whole separate community of Do you guys have your own bingo card? Yep. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, we'll have to think of something. Maybe we should talk about amps and pedals or something. I don't know. Oh, we didn't even or... touch on my old governor pedal, man. That thing is oh, epic. That's I love right. that pedal. Okay. So we, I guess we will have to find a way to do some sort of a part two with this Yeah. on talking vintage gear together. And then, you know old what? JMP Marshall amps and stuff. It's oh. I Okay. So we're coming close to the 75th episode. I'm thinking that when I get to like the hundredth episode, what I need to do is just shuffle the cards and I talk about all the same stuff, but with a different person. Ooh, there you go. (laughs) Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, this was a perspective I had two years ago with Jason. Now, John, tell me, (laughs) what do you think about? And then you can just, you know, complain about everything Jason said and And, it'll be good. (laughs) And, uh, and Jeremy can come in and. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and tell us what we did wrong, and let me tell you why. All right, that that should be your hundredth episode. Yeah, that's right, Jeremy telling me everything I've done wrong for like a century's <laughs> worth of episodes, the, the centennial. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, with all that said, John, thank you for being with me on the couch doing some group therapy. It is my pleasure to be here anytime. Uh, always good to see you and and chat. Ah, it's wonderful. All right, until next time. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time.